Good evening or morning, wherever you are. My name is Orville Gibson, and I'm listening to Craig Wessels on A Yank on the Footy, and you should listen to... Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 94 of A Yank on the Footy. I'm Craig Wessels from Sandusky, Ohio, and I am glad that you're listening. Don't forget that you can find everything related to the podcast at the new website, ayankonthefooty.com. I hope you'll consider checking it out. Remember, you can leave me a voicemail. You can share your views on an issue from a previous episode or ask a question there. You can check out my blog posts, and you can also... uh, Check out all of the episodes from the podcast as well. You can get on the mailing list there as well. Also, if you'd like to help out the show, consider uh, checking out the Buy Me a Coffee page, which you can find on the website. Also, if you're interested in any uh, podcast gear, check out my Redbubble page, which you will find linked up at the stop. And uh, also, if you've got a uh, local footy club and uh, or you're a fan of another, you know, VFL, Sandville Club, that sort of thing, and uh, you've got a sticker for your club laying around that needs a good home, I'm in the process of uh, decorating the front of my desk. Uh, It's more of a drafting table in my classroom. You can find my mailing address in the show notes if you're so inclined to do that. That'd be terrifically appreciated. I do want to encourage each of you to consider signing up for the mailing list for the podcast. You can do that up on the website as well. Whenever a new episode comes out, you get it first. I do publish it. I get the publishing link for that, and then I send it directly out to the people on the email list so they have it before everybody else does. I'd also hope that you'll consider sharing the uh, podcast with your friends and family. This one and the next uh, interview episode especially, I think, are going to be very entertaining. I'm, I'm so excited to be bringing this one to you. Okay. Now, today's club of the episode is the St. George Dragons Club. They are the only premier division club in the south of Sydney, and they've proudly represented and played at the highest level of the AFL Sydney competition since 1928. They play their home games at Olds Park in Penhurst, south of the Central Business District, and they field four men's teams from the Premier's Division down to their Masters team, along with three women's teams from the Senior Division 1s, their under-19s, and the Reserves. They're back in action on the 19th of June, beginning at 11 o'clock against the Pennant Hill Demons on the Mike Keeney Oval at Greenway Park. And best of luck to the Dragons as you head into your next round and throughout the rest of your fixture this year. You can find more information about them at stgeorge.com.au or on their Instagram page, and I'll have links to both of those on the show notes. So best of luck to you as you go forward here in your fixture. Now, folks, I hope you'll sit back and enjoy this conversation between myself and somebody who I've never met in person, but as you're going to hear in the uh, introduction, uh, somebody I most definitely consider a friend. And the Cambridge Dictionary defines the word hero as a person who is admired for having done something very brave or having achieved something very great. I think the Cambridge definition describes this gentleman very well. And over the next couple of episodes, the interview that I uh, conducted with Orville, 
I think that you might just come to agree me agree with me on this use of the word. So sit back and enjoy this. It was a fun conversation. Do we meander a little bit? Sure we do. But this is, you know, a couple of friends just uh, talking, and I decided to go ahead and get it recorded. We did have some definite avenues that we were traveling down to uh, to get through our our discussion. We certainly had mileposts that we wanted to uh, to address. We do talk some footy, but we get into all sorts of other things that that what one I've never just, I've never explored on the podcast before, and I could argue I could arguably say that that. Uh, that Orville might even admit this himself, that he's one of the most unassuming, complex people that you're going to meet. Somebody who you would look at and say, looks like a nice older gentleman, looks like he could play Santa Claus at the uh, local shopping mall around Christmas time, but there's a lot of stuff going on in this gentleman's life, an absolutely fascinating individual, stories that you are, you're not going to believe. And I, and I, I want to just be able to blurt them out to you right now and tell you all about them, but that's what we did the interview for. So I'm going to shut up now, and uh, I'm going to let me talk a couple of weeks ago when we did this interview. Very excited to bring this to you, so enjoy it. And I think this is one you're probably going to want to share with your friends and make sure that they hear about this great guy as well. So enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by my guest today, this gentleman is someone, quite frankly, whom I have to say, I've talked with over the last few years more so than I have my neighbors. I know I've spoken to him more than my neighbor that lives to the north of me, and I never see the neighbor that lives to the south of me. I'm still convinced he's a CIA agent. He only shows up to mow his grass, and then he's never around other than that. Uh, coming to us uh, live from Russell Island, which is about 15 miles southeast of the center of Brisbane, I'd like to welcome to my guest, and I think I can safely say my friend, Orville Gibson, to the podcast. Orville, thanks for coming on, sir. An absolute pleasure to finally put some of our discussions in digital format where other people can hear them. I'm delighted to be here, Craig. It's, uh, as you say, it's been quite a few years. We've been chatting back and forth. I met you on the, on the uh, Cats fan page mm-hmm. on Facebook. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, we just we we struck it off. We're both ex-servicemen. Yeah, you you're one of those people that 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 welcomed me into being a cat supporter, and I and I I can't be uh, be thankful enough for that because it's been a great. I'm wearing my cat's hat right now, but I'm gonna take my hat off for now because it's getting a little little toasty in the house because I've got the windows all shut up because it's getting ready to rain here. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'm 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 delighted that we're able to do this tonight. You know, I, I put together some, you know, some questions about some of the things we've talked about before that other people had not heard about. But, you know, I wanted to, to dive in here as we get going. And, uh, you know, first of all, you live on Russell Island. And tell us about a typical day on Russell Island, because I, I imagine it has to be a little bit slower than being on the mainland. It's virtually a retirement colony. <laughs> um, just about everybody here is is retired. There is a school here. Uh, it's got a capacity of 300 students, but there's only about 100 that go there. And uh, it's it's chosen by a lot of pl- lot of people simply because it's uh, a good retirement spot. It has a bowls club and 
the, the fishing here is fantastic. And the, it's not your typical tropical island with palm trees and coconuts and things like the white sand. The island is completely surrounded by mangrove swamps and that's what makes, makes it such a good fishing spot. Well, it's, I, I, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. The island itself is, is, is probably, uh, it's about 16 miles long and about eight miles wide. So it's, um, it's pretty good. Size. Probably Brisbane's biggest suburb. It's, <laughs> it's Brisbane's biggest suburb, I think. So how many people and, live on the uh, island? But the people, the people here, about 6,000. Okay. So about 6,000 uh, live there. But they're scattered in, in like there's little, little colonies. Yep. Okay. Uh, but apart from the center of the, the, the island where all the commercial area is with the, the supermarket and the post office and everything, all the people are scattered through the through the bush. It's the, most of the island is still bush, and uh, they they're sort of camped out in colonies. Okay. Now, there'd be twenty houses in one group and and ten houses in another group. That that geography uh, is all the way down the island. But it's so, a it's an so excellent place to to retire. Yeah. So how often do you find yourself going off of the island? Uh, probably once every two to three weeks. Okay. No real need to go off the island for anything. Okay. We've got a, a medical center here with, with three doctors. Uh, we've got a couple of cafes. You can have, you know, a nice lunch or just a burger or something if you want. Mm -hmm. um, take, there's not much in the way of takeaway food here. We did have a Chinese restaurant, but it closed down. And uh, apart from that, I, I don't really have a need to, to go across to the mainland okay. we've got a return services club here and and you can have a meal at the, at the rsl yeah and uh the bowls club and there's a, there's really no need to go across but every two or three weeks i do go over i go and visit my mother she's in a nursing home over on the mainland so okay uh, that's probably my major reason for going to the mainland is to visit her Apart from that, I, I'm, we're we're pretty well self sufficient here. We don't uh, we don't need to leave the island for anything. We've got a we've got a gas station, so you can buy petrol here. Um, well, and as you said, as, it's just a, a, as you said, you know, it's it's, it's about eight miles by sixteen miles. It's a, it's a big island, you know. So you do need yeah. to have a gas station there. Yeah. There's uh, there's four islands in our archipelago. There's there's actually fifteen islands here. Okay. But there's only four that people live on. Um, they uh, there's uh, shops on on the other islands. So if I need something like there's a butcher shop on on the next island over, okay. Clay okay. Island, but there's no there's no butcher shop here. So if I want something a bit unusual from the butcher, like a duck or yeah. something like that, I have to nip over to the next island. But catching the ferry between the islands is free. Okay. And uh, uh, the government used to charge people for, for going back and forth between the islands, but then mm -hmm. we, we all jacked up and said, no, look, you know, this is really, the ferry is our road. Uh, right. So the government cut out cut out fares for the inter-island travel we do have to pay to go back to the mainland but it's not very much it's a 12 kilometer trip 
from uh, from our ferry dock here on the island across to the mainland ferry dock. Okay. It's 12 kilometres, takes about 20 minutes. Okay. And uh, the ferries run from uh, four in the morning, I think is the first one. And the last one is about 11.30 at night. Okay. Because I know you- about every, every half hour or every half hour or so during the day. And I think there's a, there's a gap of an hour to the last one at night. Okay. Because I remember that, if I'm not mistaken, there was one instance that you told me where you got stuck on the mainland and you had to, you had to stay on the mainland overnight because you missed the last boat, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. I went to a football game <laughs> down the Gold good, Coast. Good reason to miss. <laughs> yeah, um, I went to I went to watch the Suns at Metricon, mm -hmm. and uh, I got stuck in traffic on the M1 coming back, and I didn't get back in time for the uh, for the last ferry. So I had to sleep in the car, but that's a small inconvenience. Yeah. So have you have you found people that have retired to the island, and maybe felt like it just wasn't for them, and then they left? Um, not so much people retire. When people retire here, they buy a place. Okay. And so uh, you've virtually got to wait for someone else to retire to sell it if you want to leave. But there's a lot of a lot of people sort of come over here and stay for a while because the re the rental here is quite cheap okay. compared to the mainland. It's prob probably only about half the <clears throat> half the cost of a place on the mainland. So there's a lot of lot of young families that are either building a deposit for a house on the mainland or something. They come here for the cheaper rent. Okay. And that's a, that's about our only traffic in and out are the renters. But okay. uh, the older folks like me, um, they they come here and they settle down. They put down roots and they build houses. And it's it's the island will never fill up. It's oh. uh, it's it's too big. Uh, it's it's quite a big island. They were, they've been talking for about 40 years now about putting a, a bridge across to the mainland from the southern tip of the island. But uh -huh. um, I don't think that'll happen <laughs> in my next lifetime. <laughs> so and, and, and let's, the locals let's, don't want it. I was going to say, let's, let's say that that was going to be built in 2022. Would that be something you'd be pushing against having happen? Yes, yes. Okay. None, of the, none of the people that live here want the bridge. Okay. I haven't spoken to anyone here that wants the bridge. Well, that, that kind of makes sense because, you know, a lot of people who, who make the decision to live on an island make that decision for a reason. They may, it's a conscious yes. decision that they've made that they want to kind of break that umbilical cord, if you will, with the mainland to have maybe a little bit slower life than, you know, than what they've got, That's you know, exactly in the big right. city. You know, we've got, you know, yeah. I live, I live on the, uh, the southern coast of Lake Erie, and we have a couple of islands about five or six miles out into the uh, into the lake that are um, habitable. Uh, you've got a handful of people that live on both of them year round, but in the summertime they are just absolutely filled with tourists because boating is huge around here, and uh, right. you have a lot of you know one island is a lot more slow paced, and the other one is has turned into kind of a resort area with lots of bars and restaurants and just, you know, a lot of people going there and uh, consuming significant amounts of alcohol. So, yeah, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, and, I, and I know you've told me that when you're, when you're there that, you know, we, you've actually ended conversations with me before because you've said, I have to go catch dinner now. And you head down to the pier to go yeah. catch a fish to eat for dinner. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah. 
and it's a, it's 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 a pretty <laughs> evidently it's, like it's a, evidently it's a pretty easy thing to do. Yeah, yeah. You only got to throw a line in the water, and a fish will jump on the end of it for you. And they're they're that plentiful there, so it doesn't take you that long. No, no. Wow. Wow. I think the longest I've ever waited to hook a hook my dinner was about fifteen minutes. Huh. And you can go down. You can go if you like. If you like squid, and I do. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go down there anytime, anytime during the during the night, and there'll be squid there that'll jump straight on. Wow! You no waiting. You just put your put your lure down. Yeah. And you'll feel them wrap themselves around the lure, and you just pull them out. No, I would. It's really plentiful. This is a marine. This is a marine national park. Okay. The southern end of Mort, uh, well, the entirety of Morton Bay. Is an is an enormous national park. Okay. And um, during uh, any time of the year, or like there's there's very strict catch limits for fish. Mm -hmm. um, so that it, it keeps the the conservation value of right, the right. Uh, of the national park going. And the um, during winter, and we're just about to have them now. The whales arrive. Okay. And that's a that's a big that's a big tourist draw. The, the humpback whales are on their migration now from uh, Antarctica, and uh, they've they've just passed Sydney, and they'll be here in a week or so. And that creates a lot of uh, a lot of tourism. I but bet. all that tourism is is linked to the mainland. Uh -huh. the, the boats go out and take people out to see the whales. Yeah. But it's all. Uh, it's all done from the mainland. We don't actually have whale tours from from the island, but the 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 whales do come down as far as where I live. Okay. Uh, last year they were in the, they were in the channel here behind the house. I was only two hundred meters offshore. Wow. And uh, wow. there were whales jumping out of the water water there. Jump they jump like dolphins. And Holy uh, mackerel. It's pretty spectacular. It gets pretty spectacular here, and sometimes the orcas come up pretty close to the jetty where the ferry pulls up, and the bay is full of dolphins. Yeah, uh, it's just a, a beautiful now, place to live. Now, do do a lot of people that 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 live on the island? Do a lot of people have their own boats? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But they they're only for like fishing. Nobody does. Oh, there might be two people that, that actually commute to the mainland and back in their own boat. Okay. It's uh it's it's too expensive for fuel these days. Yeah. Everybody uses the ferry. It's only four dollars to go across to the mainland. Right. But I, I didn't know if they had any that were just like for you know pleasure craft that they wanted to just go out and you know just go buzzing around, you know, the harbor or go out into the uh into the ocean itself, you know, away from the harbor, that sort of thing. Cause you know, that's you know, there's a lot of people here that, you know that will have you know you know 25 30 35 foot long boats that they'll take wherever i mean i had a friend when i was growing up that they yeah. had about a 45 foot boat that they would take they would go on vacation and they would travel all through the great lakes on the boat yeah and it was you right. know that's that was how they that was how yeah, they traveled there's, yeah there's a lot of that here uh there's a lot of boats moored down near the uh near the ferry dock and they go up, so there's, there's 40, 50 footers down there, some of them, but everybody virtually has a boat. Mm -hmm. uh, most, most people just get a, get a little uh, aluminium boat and a little, uh -huh. little outboard motor 
and they use that just to go out. The islands are in a group mm -hmm. and there's good fishing and excellent crabs. I've got to tell you about the crabs. <laughs> great big mud crabs, great big mud crabs here that have got a, a, a claw as big as your hand. It's, uh, wow. I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm a big, so I'm a big a fan of, of crab. Are you? I am a big crab fan. I'm looking, I'm looking at some pictures of one here on the, uh, on my screen here. And there's a, there's a gentleman here that has a huge one um, in his hands here. Those are massive. Wow. You'd need a hammer yeah, to crack. Very you. big crab. Yeah. <laughs> they can get pretty angry too. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's why, that's why you have the pot of boiling water ready to go for them. Yeah. Yep. On the uh, away from the little archipelago of sand islands here in the in the southern end of the bay, there's two enormous sand islands to my immediate east, and there's another one further north, Morton Island and North Stradbroke Island, uh, that are, that are just enormous. I think Morton Island's 40 miles long, and uh, North Stradbroke it'd probably be around about the same, but not as wide. And uh, there's a lot of tourist activity over there, particularly with off-road vehicles, mm -hmm. uh, people going camping. And uh, they're the, they're the, they provide us with the protection so that we don't get any of the action of the sea. Right, yeah, I'm looking, you guys are, yeah, I'm, I'm just pulling up the map here because you've got that, uh, looks like, was it North Stradbroke Island pretty much blocks you in, so you're not getting a lot of that, a yeah. uh, lot of the weather yeah. there. So I could swim. I could swim across to North Stradbroke from my house, except for the orcas. Except for the orcas. <laughs> uh, the orcas. The orcas are actually fairly friendly. I've, I don't know why they call them killer whales. There's no no actual record of them ever having killed anybody. Well, but, I, um, I, I have watched. I have watched a pod of killer whales eviscerate a sea lion in Alaska. I saw it with my own eyes. So it they, they can get aggressive. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they seem to like humans, and uh, the the biggest worry in the bay are the sharks. Uh, oh. We have the uh, there's some very big sharks here, particularly uh, tiger sharks and bull sharks. Both of them are and, very aggressive, uh, from if I remember correctly. Oh, very very aggressive. There's, there's people here on the island that have got bite marks in their boat from the bull sharks. Hmm. <laughs> the tiger sharks are, are tiger sharks will sort of keep their distance a bit, but the bull sharks will just come up. They'll bite your bite your outboard motor. They'll bite your boat. Wow. Uh, they're they're really aggressive and they can get very very big. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and those and those actually, if I'm not mistaken, the bull sharks actually can can live in freshwater as well. They can. Yeah. Yes. So yep. that's uh, I, uh, they speared one up at uh, up at Ipswich. If you have a look at your map and see where Ipswich is, it's right up at the headwaters of the Brisbane River, and uh, there was a bull shark up there, and it was that big they had to send rangers up there to to try and catch the damn thing. They just hmm. wanted to move it back to salt water, but it was it was putting up such a fight they ended up having to spear it to uh, to kill it. Wow! And it was it was as just below the damn wall there okay. was a, there was a weir across above the weir is fresh water 
and below the weir is brackish and this this shark was in the brackish water yeah. right up virtually as far as you can go up the brisbane river unbelievable so, yeah i uh, yeah. I, i'm not a big i'm not a big fan of those critters i would i would i don't mind looking at pictures of them but uh i don't need to see them up close yeah. and personal yeah no i've 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 been diving in the bay a few times and i've spotted a few tiger sharks and a few of them have been quite big fortunately i haven't run into any bull sharks but there was a woman taken at north stradbroke island probably about three years ago and wow. they didn't recover very much of the poor woman wow yeah that's it's uh... virtually virtually bitter in half so yeah, That's... bull shark looks its teeth. The teeth structure of a bull shark is very similar to the great white. Yeah, yeah. And they've they got, get they've got a lot of them. An awful yeah. long way. Yeah. That's yeah. um, okay. Um, enough enough shark talk. Let's uh, let's 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 yeah. talk. Let's get into some. Yeah, we've got a, we've gotten enough into sharks here, and hopefully we're not we're not tuning out too many people here who are uh, who are are not shark you know are not shark fans that sort of thing who don't like the water. So. You know, right? You you had you had an interesting story um, about how you became a cat supporter because you know you you as you mentioned earlier, you know you you know you befriended me in the in one of the cats discussion boards on Facebook, and you know you you had a roundabout way to becoming a cat supporter because you're not from the Geelong area. No, no. Why don't, I, why don't you tell us how you became joined, a cat supporter? I joined. Uh, I joined the army. Uh, in 1972 and at one point my wife and I had uh, two children we were about to have a third and I'd, I wasn't sure whether the uh, the army was where I wanted my career to continue and uh, I took a year off from the army and uh, can I ask you something really quickly about that before we go any further yeah you know having yeah. been in the military here how does that work where they just simply say you know go ahead and take a year off is it how do 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 people actually come back yeah yeah okay. quite often okay. uh, some some people it depends on why people leave you know okay. some people leave to study uh some people leave to travel uh some people leave for family commitments that's okay. what it was in my case i just okay i wanted to be away from the army to make that decision as whether okay. i wanted to stay on and i did in the end uh, but all you have to do to, in the Australian Army is fill out a leave application for unpaid leave for up to a year. Okay. And uh, once once it's approved, you just take your uniform off and go and do other things. And that's pretty much what I did. And uh, my wife came from Victoria, and uh, I we went back down there. I didn't want to live around her area it's a country area there's not much work around so we went to melbourne and uh we uh and you said you enjoyed your time there. you and said you enjoyed your time in melbourne when you were there yes yeah, <laughs> except for the weather yeah <laughs> yeah you you had a you had a great line about it was, yeah, I was I was there from January to August, and that was the longest five years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should you should come see the weather here in Ohio in the winter time, when it's oh, uh, no thanks when it's uh you know you know minus six Fahrenheit and thirty mile an hour winds and eight inches of snow on the ground. Uh, yeah, 
I uh, I have been to the Himalaya. I walked up to Mount Everest and I walked around the Annapurna circuit. Oh, so you've seen? And we had yes. days there where it was it was we've we had days there it was minus twenty. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, Celsius and uh, I didn't enjoy it at all, Craig. I've got I to bet. tell you, I'm no fan of snow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm getting to that point. So uh, I'm getting to that point. So you found yourself in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and I I started work with a trucking company there. Uh, and they hauled uh, Geelong cement, just the dry powder, in tankers. And uh, we used to have to pick up that Geelong cement, um, even uh, parts of Australia aren't aware that Geelong is an enormous uh, industrial area for the manufacture of dry cement powder. Okay. And, uh, I, they, have a, a, they have a depot in North Melbourne uh and uh my first day on the on the job at the trucking company i went down there to to fill the tanker up and the little chappy that uh, operates the, the the filling station there where, where they, they, they just dump this stuff into the tanker uh he said what footy club do you follow and i said oh i follow manly warringah and he said, no, that's the bum sniffers. He said, I'm talking about real football. <laughs> and uh, I, I'd had some experience. I played a year before I joined the army. I played a year of uh, Australian football. And uh, in the army, I played two years of Australian football. So that was my only exposure to it. But I'd never actually had uh, a, a loyalty to a club. And uh, the little guy, his name's Alf. And uh, he said, oh, you need to follow Geelong, he said. He, and he gave me the spiel. He said, oh, look, they're the best team and they've got all these players. And he started to rattle off the names of the players that I can't even remember now. Uh, it's, uh, but he gave me the full spiel on Geelong. And, and just from that, every time I went into the depot, mm -hmm. he'd tell me something, something new about Geelong or tell me how they're going at training because the season hadn't started. Right, right. Yeah, I ended I ended up going to a couple of cats games while I was down there, and uh, yeah, just just sort of fell into the cats fold. So, are, and you're uh, glad you did, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, did Did you ever? Everybody's got to have a footy team. Yeah. Did you <laughs> Did you ever get a chance? Did you know? Once you figured out that okay, I'm good with this. Did you ever thank him for uh, for recommending them? I left Melbourne just before the grand finals. Okay. I didn't. Uh, okay. I didn't. I can't remember if the Cats played that year, but uh, it was. Uh, that would have been what, like 70, I ended up, 74, I was, I was 75? To, yeah, 70. Okay. Yeah, at the end of 70. Yeah, 75. 75, okay. I was down there. That's right. And, okay. Uh, but I'd, I'd sort of picked up on the Cats by then. And whenever I went into the depot, I was able to have a conversation with him about them. And, I'd, I'd become a fan almost by accident. Well, and that's, and you've seen, you've seen him play a few times. So what, what's your great, you know, first of all, I have to ask you, cause you said you played for a couple of years while you were in the army and a year before that, uh, were you any good? Yep. Uh, I, they couldn't keep me in a position, Greg. Yeah. So I, uh, so kind of like yeah, Jordan Clark, I'd, the first, the first time <laughs> I, I ran out, the, the coach, I'd never played the game and uh -huh. uh, I knew none of the rules. I, I joined because a friend of mine from South Australia was in the club and 
he'd got me into it. And uh, first time I ran out, I was in the back pocket. Okay. And uh, he said, well, we'll alternate you with Rover because he said, I, I don't know how you're going to play. I said, okay. So they put me in the back pocket. The first time I got my hands on the ball, I was way down near the opposite end goalposts. I went the length of the field, Craig. You didn't, you didn't bounce the ball once, did you? I just, I just, I kept kick. I knew that it had to be bounced, but yeah. I, I didn't. So what I did was, I when I came to a defender, I'd do a little uh, chip kick over the top. Okay. Like they do in rugby league. Okay. <laughs> so that's the only so, tactic I had. So I that sc- worked out well for you then. <laughs> I scored three goals. In your first yeah, game? I scored three goals that day. From the back pocket? In my first game. From the back pocket. <laughs> So was that the was that the only game you played back there, or did they? Uh, no, I played other games. Okay, yeah, and uh, they they taught me how to bounce the ball <laughs> because yeah. they knew I was kicking over the top. But I I did it pretty well. I was because from the rugby experience, I knew kicking into empty space was was a valuable tool right. because the opponent had to then turn around and chase. Mm-hmm. So uh, by that time, you've usually got hold, got hold of the ball again. And uh, it was uh, it was a good tactic, and it worked three times. So, so, so what is your you know <laughs> as a as a as a cat supporter? What's your what's your greatest memory as a cat supporter? Oh, geez, anything to do with Gary Ablett? Anything to do with either of the Gary Ablets? His father okay. was a great uh, great stalwart of the club too, and uh, during. Geez, I can't remember the year. It was one one year that uh, Gary Ablett Senior kicked. I think it was seven goals in the grand final. Wow! And yeah, and we still lost. Yeah. Actually, the the Cats didn't win a grand final from nineteen sixty one to two thousand and seven. Kind of like the uh, kind of like the um, the the Tigers did up until they won theirs recently. That's about right. Yeah. 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 It was a long time between drinks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you're, uh, yeah. And, and I've watched some highlights of Gary Ablett. I've watched a cut or Gary Ablett senior. I watched a couple games yeah. that he's played in, you know, I've been, you know, I've been, I was able to watch, you know, the, the last few years of junior's career, uh, yeah. you know, and even the couple of years that he was with, uh, still with gold coast when I first started watching the game and it's just, yeah. You know, they were, you know, both phenomenal players. They were, they were a different type of players, most yes, certainly. You know, you know, from yeah, what they I weren't, they weren't their, their style of play yeah. wasn't any anything similar. But uh, Gary Junior, uh, I think he actually learned a lot from his time at the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. I think he picked up quite a lot uh, from his time there. And uh, but Gary Senior was. He was just phenomenal. He he was evasive. He was fast. He was accurate with the ball in his hand. He he'd kick it where he wanted it to go, and uh, he was probably. Oh, I can't split them really. I I was going to say he's probably the best player I've ever seen, but uh, uh, I don't know. Gary Junior was just the same. So yeah, he's yeah he's one of the better ones that I've seen play, and it's uh yeah, and that was that that was that. And this this pains me to say this, being as old as I am, at his advanced age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
well, yeah. his, his best years were his last. Yeah. From about from about thirty onwards, he he could just he could just read the game. He knew he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he could put position himself to be there. You know, to to take a pass, take a handball, or 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 do an offload, or, or lay a tackle. He, he was reading the game probably better than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, that he was a great he was a great reader of the game. It is, um, yeah. I, I I've been very impressed with him, and I, and I and I it just everything that I'd seen. He looked to have been a terrific teammate as well, and just it sound from everything I've also heard, just seems to be one of the nicest people in the world as well. He only got one suspension in his whole career. Yeah, he got a week for a high tackle, I think it was, and there was a lot of debate about whether it was really an intentional high tackle or whether he just coat hung a bloke that was already falling over but he got that was his only suspension so he so got that one, one suspension that that didn't happen when he was playing for gold coast and he possibly tried to tackle joel selwood was it no it was <laughs> uh it was in the <laughs> no he was back in the geelong colors but okay it was after he came back from the coast and i think it may have no, been i do either... remember him getting suspended a week yeah his last week, his last year, or his second last year, it was yeah. one of them. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's. it's but he not had a like... great, great playing record. He was, he was all, he was always a fair player. You got to, you got to say that about him. So you, you've kind of, you kind of answered uh, part of one of my, one of my questions for you. So you only, you know, I, I was going to ask you who were the three greatest players you've ever seen play, and I, you've kind of alluded to two of them. So who would the third one be? Yeah, so Alex, Alex, Alex Jezelenko from the Blues and uh, Dipier Di Domenico. Okay, also, uh, that's a that's a real mouthful. Yes, I, <laughs> yes, everyone just everyone just called Dippo. him Dipper. Yeah. I'm not actually Dipper, yeah, uh, it, it was it was a hyphenated name and it was about a foot long, yes. But, um, I think yeah, it's Dipier like... Domenico was one of the greats, and he was with Hawthorne, yeah, and I've got yeah. a, I've got a, uh, was different and the the other one that I'd have to say would be Lee Matthews. Okay. Yeah, uh, he he ended up as the the coach at Brisbane, but uh, he kicked the ball that hard once. Craig it broke the behind post in half. Holy mackerel! And I've seen people I've seen people run into those and they've not broken. But yeah. it must it must uh, have been very kicked- high up on the post so that it hit. It did hit a high up. Okay. It snapped the post exactly halfway up. Wow. I'm just trying to think what uh, what ground that was at. I think it was at Windy Hill, Essendon ground. And uh, it's quite quite fun. You can actually find footage of that on on YouTube. Okay. The day the day Lee Matthews broke the post. I'll but have yeah, to those, look. I'll have those, to look for that. Those those three, uh, Lee Matthews, Dipia Domenico, and Alex Jezelenko. You beauty. Uh, the he, Jezelenko won the grand final with a kick. Yeah. And uh, the ball was already in flight, and the, the siren went, and he kicked it 70 meters. Wow. And it went straight through the middle. It was just an unbelievable kick. But yeah, those, those three stick out for me. So what's the uh, what's the most heartbreaking footy moment you've ever seen? What's the thing that you you know that 
just left you like bummed out or just, just uh, sad last year's last year's grand final okay we can we can end the interview right now because i agree with you that's been the well you know i uh it'd be a tie with when they lost to st kilda i i, I was pretty heartbroken yeah. too uh yeah because i i they were I, having a they were having a real they were having a real purple patch <laughs> and they were either in the grand final and won it or in the grand final and just lost for about oh, four or five years and uh it was just it was just heartbreaking because everyone wanted someone mm -hmm. to get more than three in a row and the pies have got close cats have got close but nobody has ever won three grand finals on the trot and i'm thinking that's what didn't hawthorne i thought they did I don't think Hawthorne did. I'd, I'd have to go back into my okay. books to, to, to look, but I don't think they actually won three. Okay. Uh, I know it was. I know it was close to that, but yeah. Um, so do you get? Do you get? Yeah, I know. Living on the island, you said you missed a boat coming back from uh, from uh, Gold Coast. Do you get to a lot of games now? I mean, do you go watch the? Uh, the Suns and the Lions play just because you're you're somewhat close. I'm actually closer to Brisbane than I am to the Gold Coast. Although, mm -hmm. as the crow flies, I'm not very far from Metricon Stadium. Uh, it's a lot closer than the Gabba for me, but uh, but it's a little I, inconvenient I to get there. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't go to a lot of games. I'd lo I love to go and watch the the Lions and the Cats play. At the mm -hmm. Gabba, and uh, I get down to Metricon when there's when there's an interesting team. I went and watched the Gold Coast in Carlton last year. Okay. Uh, just I, I had uh, an interest. I, I actually wanted to see Paddy Cripps play, uh, and and sort of make an assessment of the guy actually on the where I I don't have to take my eyes off where the the camera is not following the action. Right, right. Where I can just sort of see what he's doing when he's got the ball and what he's doing when he hasn't got the ball. And uh, sometimes I, I just do that. I'll go down and watch a, a game at the Gold Coast or I'll go to the, go to the uh, Lions game, uh, but it's just to watch a particular player if it's okay. not the Cats. Okay, that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, that's one thing I would love to see is, uh, and I've talked about this with some other people on uh, um episodes and discussions and you know and you're an nfl fan as well which we'll, we'll kind of touch on that here in a minute but you know yeah. i don't know if you've ever seen the cameras like from the end zone where you can see all 22 players yeah i yeah. love it i absolutely love it when they when just even for a few moments they put the cam you know they they show the view from the camera that's up above the goalposts. So I, I yeah. you know, because never having been to a ground before to watch a game in person i love being able to see how the field opens up because, you know, you can't really tell the distance between the players when you're watching it from the camera on the sideline. I love seeing right. the game open up where I can see where everybody's going and where how the attack is. begins. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a really yeah. neat, neat thing to be able to see. I wish they'd introduced. They did in, in rugby here, we have a thing called the spider cam and it's a, a camera that's suspended above the ground mm -hmm. on four cables. And by driving the four cables, they can move the camera around. And that gives you a pretty good view. But I actually think that they'd be better off now with a drone. 
Yeah, they might be actually. They got if they got a, a camera drone and and flew that around behind the players, around the players, uh, you can see a play developing in a different way. Yeah. Um, it, it's much more surrounding, and I think that'd be a great improvement for the the television coverage. Well, and they could even have something like uh, you know AFL, like they did with the AFL X for a couple of years, where they had the the really long goals that were worth, worth ten points, and maybe. Maybe if you had a kick and you kicked yeah. down the drone, that would be worth 10 points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. They, uh, they still have that nine point goal in the preseason, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, do you think that sort of thing should ever happen in a regular game? Oh, no, I don't think I so. Didn't, I didn't, I didn't think you would. I didn't no. think you would. No, there's there's too many players now that can actually boot a goal from outside the yeah. fifty. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's becoming it's becoming fairly commonplace. Hardly a game goes by now where someone doesn't let fly from you know fifty sixty meters out uh, and uh, and and put a goal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Mitch, would make Mitch it, Duncan it did would it a couple it, weeks ago. You could stack your yeah, you could stack your team with with guys that that are, are good at long distance uh, and it, it could alter the score. I, do, I like the scoring system the way it is. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be crazy looking at the statistics of a game where a team team wins a goal, you know, wins a game, you know, kicking 15 goals four, and they had three inside fifties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything was from outside 50 <laughs> for the game, but uh, yeah. 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 That, now you turned you turned me on to something uh, a couple of years ago that uh, and I've actually had people ask me about this when I've mentioned it. Um, when you listen to games, because you don't always watch, you sometimes just prefer to listen to the games. And uh, yes, you've you mentioned to me about the 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 NIRS network, the N I R S. What tell us a little bit about that yeah. because you know I've had people in Australia ask me about it because they'd never heard about it before. All right, um, NERS is the National Indigenous Radio Service. Because in in uh, in rural communities, uh, AFL is the game, and a lot of the uh, listenership, like NERS, is a, is an Australia wide network. Mm-hmm. There's an Indigenous radio station within uh, within hearing distance, or they can listen on, over the AFL, and uh, but. The, Unfortunately, NERS don't get quite enough games for mine, but it, it's very, very big with our Indigenous people here. And uh, one of the, the good things about NERS is they have very, very few ads and all of, all of their commentary team are former players. Okay. There's no like professional sports journalists in there or anything. And they're all former players. They might not all be Indigenous former players, but they are all former full, uh, football players. Yeah, I've and, I've listened uh, to I've listened to several games on there, and they're they are very entertaining. Yeah, and they they do a good uh, half quarter time analysis. Uh, they have a, a, a catch up at the end of the game where they sort of look back over the game and say, "This happened because so and so kicked a a goal or." They're, they're really knowledgeable men 
and uh, I really enjoy listening to their call. It's uh, I'll listen to them before I listen to the ABC, which I have trouble actually getting here. Okay. Um, well, and, you know, uh, you can you can all you uh, you can get any of those through the AFL's website. Yes, I yeah. do. But uh, even even with that, the AF uh, the ABC, which is our national broadcaster, mm -hmm. uh, the ABC falls out from time to time. Okay. And it, it it just goes blank, and sometimes for quite a long time there'll be a like a fifteen minute silence in a call, and I, huh. I get that I have to change over, but I've never had that happen with NERS. Their well, call is continuous, uh, their commentary is excellent. Well, um, you mentioned that they don't get to do many games. I so is that something, and that's something I never even thought of. Are they? You know, cause what I, you know, I'm amazed by how many, you know, when I actually do put a, a game on, on the radio through the afl.com.au site, that there's always a list of like six or eight different networks that are broadcasting the game are, are, is, are nears only yep. allowed to broadcast so many games? Is that yes, what the AFL okay. only give them so many because uh, they don't actually pay for the broadcast rights. Okay. Well, that makes okay. I I did not. I didn't know the that. The ABC and uh, Sen and the AFL Nation and all those mm -hmm. they all have to actually pay to take the broadcast, but Nurse get it for free. Okay. I had I didn't know that, but that makes that makes complete sense then that 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 they're able to do that and uh, and get you know three or four games each week as opposed to all nine of them. That makes sense then. Okay. I'm yeah. glad I'm glad you clarified that because I had no idea that how they decided what games they were going to be broadcasting. Cause I would go and look and sometimes they would show up on the list and sometimes they wouldn't be there. And I had no idea why yeah. they were at one and not at another. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's actually a good, uh, um, good to know that. And, and one of the neat things about it with them and I've actually, is you can actually send, you know, text messages through SMS to them during the course of the game that yeah. they'll read out. And I've, I've actually yeah. done that before. You know, yeah, I've I've often done it as well, uh, and it's a good way to keep yourself involved with the game. Mm -hmm. And they're so knowledgeable; you can even ask them about not specifically the game that's on, right? But you can ask them a, a, a question about another game that was on yeah. or one that's coming up. You know? Right, right. Uh, I have a I have a great uh, question session with a fellow called Gilbert McAdam, and he's always calling the Lions games. So. Uh, I, I'll I'll send them a text and I'll ask them about how they think Tom Lynch is going down at uh, down at the Tigers or uh -huh. you know just anything at all. And um, Gilbert's a particularly good. Uh, he played for the Lions for oh, quite a long time. I think it was four or five seasons he spent at the Lions, and he okay. knows everybody in the club. He's really knowledgeable about the Lions things. So whenever the whenever the uh, Lions games are on and Nurs have got the call, which just about all the time for some reason here. Um, I'm always on there to ask a question of, from Gilbert. He's a really, really knowledgeable footballer. Okay. Um, you know, going back to your, you know, you'd, you'd worked with the Geelong Cement for a while there, but you've had a lot of different, um, a lot of different jobs during the course of your career. And, uh, you know, you spent time yeah. in the army, um, and you told me a story a couple of years ago that it was just, was just fascinating. And it, and it was about, uh, 
you know, during, you know, some significant floods that happened by, back in 1974 during your time in the military, where you actually yeah. rescued several people from their home during some horrific flooding. And, and, and I, that, to me, that's, you know, you may, you may be somebody who sits there and says, I was doing my job, but there are, there are six people there that or the people and i think it was there were six if i'm not mistaken that that that's right that to you they were a hero that you're a hero yeah you know and they you know you may you may not (laughs) think that i told you i told you the full story of that later that i actually met one of them no well why don't you why don't you you know tell us about that because you know we we talked about it off air again today but go ahead you know tell us what happened there because it's, it's the kind of thing that just you know we don't hear enough stories of, of people doing heroic things we hear we, uh, we hear a lot of dumb things in the news we hear a lot of people making mistakes and that sort of thing but we don't hear enough good stuff like this so if you wouldn't mind yeah uh, uh, that's that's all right um that was during the 1974 floods in brisbane which were some of the worst floods that the city has ever had and uh, Brisbane is built on a coastal plain, so it, it does tend to flood. And uh, the flooding will go right into the center of the city at times. But uh, I, had, I was uh, one of several people that had been trapped at the army base at Inogra. And uh, we were, most of, the, most of the place was out. So um, we went to the duty officer and said, can we get a, a vehicle and we'll just me and my mate we'll just go out and wander around and you know see if there's people that need help and blow me down we hadn't got to the end of uh fraser's road which and it was it was very late at night it was about 10 o'clock at night uh, fraser's road is uh right along one border of the inaugural army base which is one of the biggest bases in queensland okay and um we we could see that, that there was a there's a big stone bridge at the bottom of, of Fraser's Road, and the bridge was almost under, and uh, there's a there's an enormous crack in the ground. That's the best way to describe it. It's a ma- massive chasm. It's probably twenty meters deep, and it was absolutely full of water. And uh, we went around the corner, and we we thought we be- we'll go down. We crossed the bridge and turned left to go down and there was a, a lot that down in the bottom end of the chasm there's a lot of houses down there that we knew would be flooded mm-hmm. but we only got as far as the oh, was, i think it was the second house down the street and the lights of we were in a land rover and uh, the lights of the land rover lit up uh people sitting on the roof of a house hmm. and uh I asked mate, I said, can you swim? <laughs> he said, not a stroke. He <laughs> said, can you swim? I said, yeah, I'm not bad at it, but but I don't know how we're going to get to these people. And he said, we'll put the put the pinch chain on around your waist. And he said, I'll drive you out on the winch cable. So that's what we did. We, we anchored the, the Land Rover with a chain to a telegraph pole. Okay. And uh, my mate drove me out because I couldn't, there was no way to do anything other than steer in the current. It was running at about 30 knots. It was a terrible night and it was building rain. 
and uh, it was blowing a gale as well. And uh, he drove me out, and I got the first. I got the kids off first, then I went back and I got the mother off, uh, and it, I got the the next. Uh, I got the father off, and when he got there, I, I thought we were finished. And he said, "No," he said, "My next door neighbours are, are, are there." He said, "They're on the roof of their house," and uh, he said, "They've got no way off, and they haven't got anywhere. They didn't have anywhere near the the amount of roof space that we had." So. Uh, my mate drove me back out on the winch cable again, and I climbed up to the roof of the first house where we'd just taken the people off. And I could just, so there was just enough light from the Land Rover to see to the next house. And I could see these people were, were they had maybe a foot and they were gone. The, yeah. There was a foot of their house was showing above the water. Wow. And I thought, these people are in, they're in desperate straits. And uh, I just signaled to have more wire and uh, he was driving, just about to drive me out on the cable and there was a crack and I looked up and the house was gone. And it was, there was, uh, I can't remember, I think it was five people on the roof of the house and uh, they were never found. That is, that, that's... Phrases. I know, you, I know you feel bad about not having been able to help them, but there are six yeah. people, there were six people that, that survived because of what you did and and you said yeah. you said you got to meet one of them later on as well <laughs> that's right i did um the uh i had i had remarried after my first wife died i remarried and uh the, the we had split up uh, mm -hmm. this is a short way to put it and she had remarried again and uh, I, we had a daughter together and I wanted to meet the man who had sort of come into my daughter's life. And, right, right. Yeah, you know, make, make an, sense. Make, make, an assess, make an assessment of the guy. And uh, I went over to dinner at their house one night and uh, I noticed that the guy had a slight English accent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I said, you know, what part of England are you from? And he told me. And I said, how long, are you, how long have you been here? And he said, oh, we came over in 1974. Uh, oh, 1973, they had arrived. The floods were in January of 73 over the Australia Day long weekend. And uh, he said, we came over at the end of 1973. And uh, I said, geez, you picked a bad time to turn up. I said, that was, <laughs> that was the year Brisbane was almost underwater. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and, and then he told me, he said, yes, he said, we, our next door neighbours were killed by the floods. And I said, oh, where did you live? And he said, out at, uh, out at Ashgrove, which is where the inaugural army base is. Yeah. And I said, I thought, I'm sitting there thinking, that couldn't possibly be, you know. <laughs> and he was much younger than me too, but my, my second wife was much younger as well. And uh, I said, how old were you when you came here? He said, oh, I was 11. And... Uh, well, you're, he you're, said, you're, she, the she was a lot younger than you. She yeah. was, yeah, she was and, a lot uh, younger than you then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, she was, oh, let me think. She was 22 years younger than me. Wow. And uh, anyway, he, he, he said, we lived at, uh, at Ashgrove. He said, and behind the house was this enormous 
crack in the ground. And I'm going, this couldn't be real. Oh. And it, 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 was, it was him. He, he said, he said uh, we thought we were goners. He said, and, and then out of nowhere, this army Land Rover turned up and a guy came out on the winch cable and, and winched the whole family to safety. And he said, and then our next door neighbor's house washed away and no one ever found. And I was, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I couldn't very well say, oh, you know, that was me. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the kind of that's the kind of thing you bring up in the, you know, that's that's the kind of thing you bring up in the conversation where your 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 former wife is thinking, oh, that's how you want to try to get back with me. You're going to go ahead and tell those kinds of stories. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. Yes. No. Were, were you so able I to? Never, I, go ahead. You never told. I never him? let on to him. Wow. No, I never told him, and uh, I never told my daughter either. And uh, I've left a, a message in my will. That, that tells the whole story and it's in a in an envelope attached to my will oh man and, you know uh, what uh, please, please i hope they don't listen to this episode <laughs> well unfortunately that guy is not has now died he had a very bad heart apparently oh and and he died when he was i think 43 wow That's quite a few years ago now and my daughter lives in germany now okay uh she married a germ she married a german chappy and uh, yeah, she lives in the in the Alps over there, so uh, neither of them are likely to hear the hear the well, broadcast. I, but I will definitely I will definitely not reach out to her then. Okay, so that's uh, <laughs> wow. So that I mean I yeah if 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 people don't think that that's heroic, then you know that I don't know what they're I don't know what they're thinking then. So so, so if I got there at twelve o'clock, I'd still be waiting. There you go. So. You know, how, how are you thinking the cats are looking this year so far from what you've seen? Uh, patchy. Um, they've had good wins, but I haven't, uh, I haven't seen them playing with, with the confidence that they've had in other years. Um, I'm wondering whether they're missing uh, having Ablett there at the front because he was always their go-to man. Right. Um, but yeah, I described they they're they're doing okay. I mean, what are they fourth on the fourth on the ladder? I think at the moment. Yeah, I think they um, dropped. I think they actually dropped down to but, sixth. I think with the uh, loss to sixth. Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They they could be doing better. Um, and there's there's obviously some some weaknesses there that their opponents are finding. Um, but overall. We're still in the eight, right? Right. And um, while you're while you're in the eight, you're in with a big chance. Uh, it yeah. doesn't matter what point of the season. Yeah. So yeah, I, um, I, I think they'll do okay. I think I don't know. I don't know. the The demons are going to be in the grand final. That's mm -hmm. my that's my prediction now. Okay. Okay. Um, and the demons. Go the, ahead. They're going to be there, and. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were playing Hawthorne, but uh, not Hawthorne. Oh, wow! Not <laughs> uh, I just got got what, what got did under you the wrong foot coffee? there for a minute. What did you put in your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> That's a... No, I wouldn't be surprised if we had a Demons Demons Tigers Grand Final this year. Uh, I'd be disappointed, but I yeah. don't know that the way Geelong have been playing. 
that their losses have been uh, inexplicable. Although the, yeah. the last one with with, with Cameron's uh, mark that wasn't paid, right, uh, and and that would have won us the game, um, and and we'd be in a better position. But that sort of thing can happen. I mean, it, it happened to the Lions yeah, against exactly. Geelong just a couple of weeks before. Exactly. Um, yeah, uh, the Cats won the game, but uh, it was a win with a kick in the pants. Right. It was, you <laughs> so. know, it's, it's as though the footy gods decided to even things out for them. You know, and uh, and do that. Yeah, about, so, about that. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, the... the the thing that I have to say every time somebody brings up the demons is that I, I apologize. I did not even have them in the eight this year. I think I had them 12th because they were, you know, I having watched la- after last year, they were they, so dysfunctional. They, they, yeah. They, uh, they played a good, uh, they played a good season last year, I thought, and they were unlucky to miss out on the eight. It, it came down to as every year happens, they they play they play their last real game, and then they've got to wait for the results of other games to find out whether mm-hmm. they're going to go on into right deeper right. into September or whether they're going to drop out. And I think that's that's all that. But I saw plenty. Of, I've been following the demons not as a second team. I don't believe in the second team, uh, but I've I'd been interested in the demons for for quite a while. They got the spoon a few years back, and they were they're obviously. Had to go into a rebuilding phase, and they had, I think, two seasons where they'd had had really poor results. They might have come seventeenth the following year, but they've been steadily working their way back into the competition. Uh, I thought they were unlucky to miss out on finals last year, and I think they would have done pretty well uh, if they'd gone on. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, as you say, the footy gods just yeah, just I... decided that. Uh, the demons weren't going to play deep in the right, finals right. last year, but and I, I this, think this year they haven't missed a beat. Right, Max Gone has been to me. He's been extraordinarily impressive this year in the ruck. I mean, yeah. He's been he's yep. been he's been phenomenal, and uh, you know just you know, yeah. shepherding people and just he's just he's everywhere. It's like they cloned him, and they've got two or three Max Gones out on the ground. Um, so he's playing a great great season. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I there's one big subject that I know that we're going to end up talking about that, uh, you know, we may, you know, as you'd mentioned, you have you have some place that you have to, to head out to. So we may be splitting this into a couple of different discussions here over the next you know couple of days. But uh, I had a couple you know, questions that aren't necessarily specifically about anything that I wanted to to, to ask you. Uh, and I've kind of been asking this type of question to several people that I've been talking to, but what were the best and worst parts or I'm assuming that it's pretty much over now. I mean, there have been, you know, these, you know, these shock lockdowns and that sort of thing, but what have been the best and the worst parts of quarantine for you? Uh, being able to go and, and watch teams locally that, that wouldn't have been playing locally. Otherwise it's uh, with all the, with all the clubs that were gathered in Brisbane, uh-huh. because this was, this was the center of the hub. Um, the Lions, for instance, were, were playing. I went and saw the Lions play the Cats. Yeah. And uh, I saw the Lions play the Pies, uh, which 
I wouldn't have been able to see because I think actually that that game where the Lions and the Pies had a clash here was actually scheduled for the MCG. Right, right. It, it, earlier in it. So there's that from a positive point of view, but there's been the the the, the drawback to it all was that the, a lot of teams weren't getting to play in front of their uh, their own fans. Mm-hmm. And I think that upsets the balance. Of, yeah, uh, it, it upsets the balance of the game because they haven't got the impetus of the crowd behind them. Uh, I, I've got to, I've got to just tip my hat here at the moment for a moment, and and go away from the players, and I've got to, I've got to hand a big gold plate to the the curators at the Gabba, mm-hmm. and the curators at Metricon, who were getting these, they'd have a game today and a game tomorrow, and they would somehow roll out an absolutely perfect pitch. Yeah, yeah. In between. Yeah, you know, they must have been working until two or three in the morning, just going around cleaning up divots and and putting in patches, and uh, they they did a fantastic job. Yeah, they you a, a big pat, big pat on the back for the curators at those two grounds. That that is that's very true. As, you, uh, you could have had you could have had bare bare dirt by the you know by the end of the season last yeah. year with as many games as were being played there. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know you you are a, a huge history buff i know that and you know that's that that is a that is a rabbit hole that we're going to go down probably not today because as you as you said you have an appointment you have to go to but i i have a few other questions that uh that i want to ask you um and this is this is away from the civil war but i guess it's it's in a way it's it's a lot maybe on the same line who is your most admired historical figure who do you most admire from history? Um, that's a very tough question. Um, Robert E. Lee would have to be in there. Okay. Uh, he brought the he brought the uh, the Confederate Army to Washington twice. Yeah. And uh, didn't press home the advantage. And I think he was a very fair-minded man. I've read of some. I've I've read two biographies, and one of them was uh, uh, his own uh, historical notes from the Civil War. Okay. Letters and, and and correspondence and so forth. And he was very well disposed, even even if he took a man prisoner, or not personally, but right, right. He he he, he tried to see that the prisoners were, were well looked after. Um. I don't think he's, it's hard to say. He was a Southern patriot, but I don't think his heart was ever really in it. Uh, like deep deep down inside, he was doing his job. Right, right. But that's 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 I, a very fair statement. I, I, I don't think his heart was in his job. So, um, so yeah, Robert E. Lee, uh, MacArthur. Okay. Um, he he was he was a very clever general, MacArthur. Uh, losing the Philippines wasn't wasn't very clever, but uh, <laughs> uh, he had circumstances. 
he had circumstance against him there. Um, and I've only just recently, in, the, in the, the last couple of weeks, read about the destruction of Manila mm -hmm. uh, during during the Japanese occupation, and then further destruction that was rained on the on the Filipinos in the wake of the uh, of MacArthur's return. Right. Um, Manila parts of Manila were were just leveled. Uh, so MacArthur definitely he had he had a he had an adventurous mind for mm -hmm. a general i don't know if you've ever heard of the canoe raid on singapore i have not but i'm going to definitely look that up now but i'm sure you're going to tell uh, me a little bit about it uh, here yeah just just briefly um a group of australian and british uh, soldiers and and sailors launched an attack on singapore from Western Australia in an 80-foot fishing boat. Huh. They, if I'm not mistaken, that's a bit of a, that's a, bit of a trip. It is. It's, uh, it's an enormous trip. It was the longest penetration behind enemy lines by any surface force in World War II. Wow. They sailed up, they sailed up through the Straits of, of, of Bali, between Bali and Lombok. Mm -hmm. And they sneaked along. Uh, they dyed themselves the same colour as the natives. They all wore sarongs. Uh, and a couple of times the Japanese came and had a close look at them, decided they were a fishing boat and just let them go. Didn't, didn't do anything. They went to... Uh, they got to an island that was, I think, 30 miles, Kampong. Uh, it's 30 miles from the harbour at Singapore. And... They offloaded the fishing boat. They they packed up. I think it was six canoes, folding canoes. Okay. And they paddled. They paddled into Singapore Harbour in the dead of night, and they put limpet mines on seven ships. Wow. And then sneaked away again, and sneaked away again. They got back to their island before dawn, and then the the, the limpet mines went off. And the Japanese went absolutely nuts for days. They, was, they thought at first that was, uh, they'd bet all these ships had been torpedoed. There was a tanker that they did. It wasn't so much the damage they did. It was the psychological blow. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like, the, it's, a, it's a lot like, in that case, it's kind of like the Doolittle Raid when they hit back it in is. Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And then, and then they managed to make a clean getaway. All the way back to Australia. Wow, wow! And uh, it, MacArthur okayed that raid. That raid personally. Uh, the, the, there was there was a lot of resistance from the Australians, uh, from from the Australian Army. There was a lot of resistance from the British Navy, and uh, they said, you know, this is just this is just stupid. This is this this can't happen. But huh. they made it happen, and. Uh, so it, for that reason alone, I, I, yeah. I rate MacArthur right up there. Okay. Um, well, that, 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 yeah, of course, I'm a military historian. I don't get much outside uh, the, uh, the military sphere. So Yeah, you know. well, let me ask you this then as a follow-up. What 
aspects of Australian history or Australian leadership do you think Americans should know about? Because I'm going to be honest with you, as as a social, as a teacher who teach used to teach history that teaches government now, we we as a society here in the States don't know a whole heck of a lot about things. And that's, I guess you can blame me for that, but it's, you know, that, that curiosity isn't there. It's, you know, I'm holding my phone up in front of me right now, but it's kind of like, this is my world right in front of me here, but not, not all of the stuff that has led to that. So, so what should Americans know about Australian history or Australian leadership in that regard? Um, During the first world war, uh, our best general was John Monash. And uh, he virtually invented tank warfare. The tank was a new weapon. And it hadn't been used in combat the first time <clears throat> that, that Monash um, took the tank into battle. No one knew how they would perform. No one knew uh, what what the balance of, of power shift on the battlefield would be from the introduction mm-hmm. of this new weapon. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the American uh, commanders was a fellow, as we spoke just recently about, was George Patton. Mm-hmm. He was a captain. He was a captain at the time. He was in one of the very earliest uh, American um brigades that went to to fight in europe during world war one and he learned i think an awful lot about the tank and tank warfare from the way that monash planned monash was a great planner he was an engineer in civil life okay so planning came planning came naturally to him and when he launched an offensive it was planned down to the minute and down to the man virtually. Wow. Uh, he was, and he was, he was a stickler for detail and he didn't leave himself out of any discussion. If uh, one of his subordinates wanted to do something, Monash had to know everything about it. Uh, he, he was probably one of the, the, the greatest Australian generals. Um, oh, he, he would be the, the great Australian general. As I say, but Patton served under him mm-hmm. and Pat, Patton was quite happy apparently to serve under him because he learned so much about tank warfare from Monash. Um, and see that, and, and I have to stop you there for just a second. And this is one of the things that, that you know, even I who, you know, have a, you know, a, a somewhat working knowledge of, of these types of things, I didn't realize that the that that the Australians were actually in Europe during the First World War. I that that I never never dawned on me, but I guess there was probably that still that <coughs> close relationship with the British that made that happen. We fought under the English flag. Yeah, Australia didn't have its own flag. Well, Australia I, I, didn't have its own flag until I think it was the nineteen twenties. I've seen fought under the British flag. I have seen a few people who have made the argument that they still don't and should possibly look at getting their own <laughs> separate from the one that, that's there. But, yeah. Uh, you know, that, yeah. That's, that's, that's another, uh, that's, that's another debate for a completely different time, but I've heard some people that have said that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, all Australian ships during the first world war operated with the British Navy. 
Okay. And they all they all flew the the British ensign. Um, I think that the reason that that Australians don't want to get rid of the flag is because of that association. Okay. Uh, with 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 England, uh, their flag takes up a quarter of ours. Right. Right. <laughs> right. They've got this. They've they've got the Union Jack in the corner of the Australian yeah. flag. Um, and I think there is a, there was a big influx of British migrants after World War II, and I think there's a lot of lingering sentiment for for the old empire, particularly amongst older older the older English migrants. There's a, a lot of fondness for the monarchy. And that, that's not just the English. There's a lot of Australians that are very fond of the monarchy too. Okay. So okay. Uh, it's uh, it's something we might never break free of. Yeah. Although Prince Charles has said that he doesn't want to be the king of Australia when his mother dies, he doesn't want to be. He, he wants us to be a republic. You know. So uh, can can I go on the record right now? Yeah. Why do why do I have this feeling that that she is going to outlive him? <laughs> why do I have that? Right. Why do I have that feeling that that he's never going to be anything more than the Prince of Wales? And that um, that is in no way me making any sort of a, a threat or anything. I just you know she has she has been the queen for for so long. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I think she, I I could very easily because he's in his seventies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's in his mid seventies. Yeah. yeah, he's. He he's, could, he, he's no he spring could potentially chicken. Be, yeah, he could potentially be over 80 before he get, ascends the throne. Right. Uh, Which, he spent his whole life he spent his whole life training for it virtually. Yeah. And I'm I'm certain that in his own mind he thinks, well, it's my turn and mm -hmm. I'm going to be king. But you've got to bear in mind that Queen Elizabeth's mother lived to 102. Right. Right. Uh, they're enormously long-lived. Um, we've just seen the passing of the Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah. And he was just shy of a hundred. He missed out by a couple of months. Yeah, I just saw. I just saw a report and, uh, today that they said that 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 he that he he died they the that he died of old age, which you know I like to joke yeah. and say that you know he he had a he had a terminal case of being ninety nine is what he had. You know. That's exactly right. <laughs> it, 99, it wasn't going to get exactly better. That's exactly right. There's, you know, they're, no, they're, no, everyone was willing him on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and saying, you know, you've only got another couple of months, you know, hang in there. But uh, he just had too many things wrong with him in the end. So a couple. He you know, was a well-decorated fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah. He was very much involved in the, in the, in the war of effort. And that's. Yeah. Well, and then his grandson was too. You know, uh, was very much involved in the military. I can't remember which which yeah. which one of the brothers it was, but I think they've actually both served in the military. Did they not? Uh, Andrew Andrew went to the Falklands War. Okay. No, I meant uh, Charles Charles' sons. Oh yeah, um, Harry. Yeah. He uh, he did two tours of Afghanistan. Right. And he was in the command. He was in the commandos. Mm hmm. He, he was enormously active and uh, William uh, was a helicopter pilot for the Air Force, uh, but he didn't serve overseas. 
but he was very well respected and and I think he got a medal uh, for rescue work on a on a, a ship that was sinking. Uh, Speaking of that, I, let's go let's go back a few minutes. Did did you get any kind of an award for that? Any kind of a citation for? No, uh, nothing. Huh. No, nothing at all. Huh. <laughs> no, as 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 you made mention of, it was my job. Yeah. Well, so so was the other stuff. The the stuff with the the prince was his job too. Yeah. But as as Mel Brooks uh, as Mel Brooks said in a movie once, it's good to be the king. Uh, <laughs> 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 or almost the king exactly yeah now yeah. i know you've got to get going here to an appointment here pretty quickly but uh couple couple last questions before i let you go and then hopefully and i think we can probably set up a time to sit back down and continue this conversation because i want to dig into the civil war um and just your your fascination and how that became something that was of interest of you or interest to yeah. you um but I had a couple, I've had a couple like offhanded, you know, kind of humorous questions that I'd listed here that I wanted to ask you. Okay. Okay. This just some rapid fire ones here. Um, do you have any Vegemite in your kitchen? Yes. Okay. I've got, I've got the biggest, the biggest jar of Vegemite that you can actually purchase. <laughs> the seven, okay. the $7 one. Wow. Okay. And I eat it daily. I, I eat it daily. I, I need to get some They're here just to try a... it. I, just so I can say that I've tried it. You know, it's because there are places here where I can, I can order it and get like a small container of it. I would just like to be able to say, yes, I tried it and maybe I liked it yeah. or I tried it and, you know, I had to go out and get a, a tongue transplant you know, or something of that nature. <laughs> we shall it's see. It's very salty and it's very bitter. Yeah. But, um, Australians are given Vegemite pretty much. It's one of their first solid foods is a piece of bread with Vegemite on it. Okay. Yeah, now, so there are Australians that don't like it. Right, right. But I don't know. Well, that's, that's why I asked the would, question. Wouldn't, yeah. I don't know of anyone that wouldn't eat it. Okay. We can even get it in our embassies, Craig. Oh, of course. You, you can go to, to an Australian embassy. You can go to an Australian embassy and get a jar of Vegemite. <laughs> oh, so you mean if I go to Washington D.C. and pick it up, I should be able to get some there? Okay, yep. I'll, I'll have to give that a shot. Now, um, is it true? Is it true that no self-respecting Australian will be found drinking a Foster's Lager? It is true now. I think they've even stopped making it. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know they'd stopped making it. Yeah, I've, I. No, I think it was replaced by uh, BB Victoria Bitter. Victoria Bitter, yeah. I'm not sure why. Yeah, um, I'm not sure why it was, but uh, I haven't seen Fosters in a in a, a pub or a bottle shop. Oh, years. See, I didn't even know they had stopped making uh, yeah, it. Yeah, there was. Because people had said that it was. If it they're was still awful. making it, they're not making much of it. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's something you'd you'd, you'd shout your worst enemy. You know, you have a beer mate. 
did they <laughs> did they did they give you such a, you know did they give you such a big can of it because it was basically it was a quantity over quality type situation this year it's like here this will get yeah. you drunk okay. yeah okay yeah. Uh, it was fairly it was fairly strong i think it was 4.6 percent but uh okay yeah i yeah. i haven't seen it in years that's two two more questions for you before before we wrap up for today okay brian taylor okay mate brian taylor take him or leave him I'll do you like every time okay you yeah. like okay because i know some people are not a big fan of listening yeah. to his commentary okay um and no he's it, i think they don't understand his humor okay yeah he's, and i yeah he's, and I, he's very he's very funny and you've got to really listen to him because he's he's saying a lot of things uh, out front, uh -huh. but there's actually an undercurrent there. You know, and you and, yeah, uh, and you you have to be willing to pick up on it. He's having two conversations. Yeah, you, he's having two conversations at the same time. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of people that don't like him, but yeah, I like Brian. Now this this one is intended to be humorous here. Okay, um, now yeah. I I have heard differing numbers. But in your opinion, you know, have the number of tourist deaths from drop bears actually decreased? No, no, oh, no. Oh, you've got us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the drop. The, the, particularly since the bushfires forced yeah. the, the drop bears into smaller areas. Yeah. Uh, and oh, and now those, I those areas are attracting campers. Now I feel they're, guilty they're... for asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the deaths from drop bears are, are, are on the rise. Not to mention the amount of chocolate that, that's the, that the damn things are consuming. They're all getting fat and very heavy, so that when they fall out of the trees now, uh, they do a lot more damage. The... Um, because you know that drop bears, that they do two things. They fall out of the trees, they eat all your chocolate, and then they blow bubbles with your soap. <laughs> I didn't know about the chocolate and the soap part, but uh, I... <laughs> well, Orville, you, 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 go, you get to your appointment, okay? And uh, let's see if we can set something up again for... You know, early next week to go ahead and finish this up because this is this is going to end up getting released as a two-part episode we're not going to get through both parts of this in one episode okay, yeah we haven't so, e we haven't even got to uh anzac day yes or the significant or the significance of it right right or uh yeah it was uh or what happened because uh before the anzac invasion uh there was a significant military defeat in the dardanelles and most Australians don't know about it. Hmm. British lost eight battleships in a day. Uh, and, and most Australians say, well, you know, how come we haven't heard about that? And that happened just a month before the, the, the ill-fated, as it was, attack on uh, Gallipoli. Oh, Gallipoli, okay. And, uh, and we haven't got into the, and we didn't get into the history of the Anzac Day game. How, right, it right. Has, how it has come about and i wanted uh, i definitely want to do it, that yep yeah, i definitely want to do up, that up, up until yeah there were there was a period where it was not possible to hold the game because it was illegal to schedule any sporting event for anzac day 
Okay. And that didn't change until 1958. But mm -hmm. yes, we can come. We can come to that next time around. Okay. Well, fantastic. Let's wrap up this first part here for today. Okay. And uh, my guest for this first portion uh, of this discussion has been Orville Gibson from Russell Island in uh, in Queensland. And uh, Orville, it's it's great talking to you. I, I love sitting down talking with you. You know, you're you are so very knowledgeable in so many different facets of life and that sort of thing. It's, it's, it, it really is. It's a joy to sit down and talk with you. And it's, uh, I really, I really enjoy it. And I'm, and I'm glad that you reached out a couple of years ago when I first started following the club. I, I, I I'm so thankful oh, for that. Craig, it's, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a joy sitting here talking to you. It's just like two blokes sitting at a bar. Uh, oh. ex exchanging conversation on on all things it's uh i would have fallen asleep by now because uh, i'm not much of a it's drinker just been, it's... <laughs> 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 all right mate we'll leave it there for now okay and uh i'll be i'll be glad to come back just just drop me a message okay and and i'll i'll, I'll hook it up again Look I won't leave the tape over the camera this yes, time. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Looking at the clock, you have four minutes to get to your appointment. Oh, that's all right, Craig. Don't okay. be running late. I, I okay. Just, yeah. Cool. Cheers. No worries. Talk to, I'll talk talk to you, again you soon. soon. Yepper. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay, mate. Bye-bye now. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed part one of my discussion with Orville Gibson. Absolutely a blast to talk to him. I... I literally talk to him online every day. We may not speak verbally, but we definitely speak through Facebook Messenger, things of that nature, trading messages back and forth very consistently. Now, if you've got an idea for a show topic or if you know somebody that you think would be a great guest on the show, please feel free to leave me a voicemail on the website. Shoot me a DM on Twitter or shoot me an email at yankonthefootygmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Remember that everything for the podcast is available at yankonthefooty.com. You can also find it on my on your favorite podcast provider, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play, uh, Stitcher, which is the one I generally use here in the states. I like Stitcher's setup; works to me works, works pretty well for me. Um, and uh, now that you've uh, listened, I hope you'll consider giving me a review. On Apple Podcasts, you can actually do that right on my website as well. You can give me a review right on the right on the website, and then I can go ahead and share those with people uh, on my social media and let them know what you think of the show. And hopefully, we'll bring in additional listeners. And remember, you can also reach me at yank on the footygmail.com, yank underscore on on Twitter. And if you want to help out the podcast, check out the Buy Me a Coffee page or the Redbubble page. Now, ladies and gents, I want to thank you for listening. We're fans of our clubs. Deep down, we're fans of this game that we all love. Hopefully, things are going to be getting back to normal very, very quickly for you in Victoria. I know this has been a hellish 15 months. But, you know, with the lockdowns and footy being outside of the state for much of the 2020 season... I wish you the best. I hope things get uh, get back on track, okay, very soon. And it sounds like that might be the case, knock on wood. Now, 
Again, I do hope again that you'll share the podcast with your friends and family. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, as always, may your dribble kick never hit the post. I will catch you later. This has been episode number 94 of A Yank on the Footy, part one of my talk with Orville Gibson. Don't forget, again, that you can reach me at yank underscore on on Twitter or to the yankonthefooty at gmail.com and everything related to the podcast at yankonthefooty.com. I do hope that you'll share the show with your friends and family. And until next time, folks, this is Craig Wessels from Sandusky, Ohio. Goodbye. <laughs>